Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live, coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. My name is Ron Crawford. I am privileged to be the pastor here, and I am so thankful to be able to reach out to my congregation today, as well as to our Saints Network family from so many places around this country and and so many other nations. Greetings, and I hope that all of you are preparing your hearts for what God is going to be doing here in Dallas during the Saints Network Fall Seminar, which is going to convene beginning on September 12th. You should be able to uh, register for that on our website, um, and uh, we encourage you strongly to do that. We're looking forward to what God has in store for us. This is a significant time in God's plan as he's moving upon the earth, and our intercession and our point of agreement, very much akin to the principle of the, the Feast of Adonai, in the uh, in the Old Testament where we come together at an appointed time to present ourselves before God according to what he has called us to be individually because that's what Adonai really represented everybody in the way God created them doing what they are supposed to do and fulfilling the roles that he has placed before us. That's, that's so significant and so very important. So we look forward to that time. And with that, let's, uh, let's present a, a prayer announcement. Every Saturday, our congregation gathers um, at the time of their choosing in the mornings here in the sanctuary. And I know that's confusing to some people who always want to have just a set time where everybody comes together. We do have those from time to time. Um, But we recognize that Saturdays really have a lot of demands on people. And especially when we aren't babies anymore. So we don't have to be corralled into everybody walk on this line now. We're going down to the cafeteria. Everybody line up. Uh, Hopefully people who are mature in the Lord will find the time that God would direct them to come and spend before him. So we have people that come at all hours of the day and night to pray here. Everybody in our congregation has access, locked access to this facility. But people come on Saturday mornings from early in the morning all the way through into the early afternoon. And they spend whatever time they feel led to spend. Now, arguably, that does does not ensure that there are going to be 15 voices crying out to God at, at the same time. That's a special thing. But one thing I learned early on as a pastor here was that there were some people who knew how to do that. 
In fact, they judge the effectiveness of a meeting as to how long and how vibrantly people either shouted or manifested in some way. But the challenge we had was getting people to seek God on their own. They didn't know how to just be before God and have a vibrant encounter with Him. <coughs> so, over the years, we have done our very best to offer as many types of prayer opportunities, albeit also encouraging people to develop not only the assembling of ourselves together, but them praying alone here or, or them praying alone at their house. Dear God, is such a thing possible? And uh, when it comes down to it, it's just like a sporting analogy. You know, everybody likes to come and scrimmage and just throw the ball around. But the real players are going to be working at their craft every day, especially when nobody else is around, running those miles, doing those exercises, going through those drills with whatever particular skill set you were responsible for on a team. And when that is done, that makes the team experience successful. Remember, a NBA basketball player named Allen Iverson was famous for a quote where some of the sports writers were asking him why he didn't show up to practice, and he said, practice, practice. He made this funny, uh, funny ex expression as a response to their question. And he was basically indicating that he really didn't need practice because his skills were above and beyond. Well, I understand that. Some people can hit baskets when they fall, when they fall out of bed. Um, but for most people, you better be in top shape. And so um, we uh, we offer all types of opportunities for people to pray. But we expect them to do it. Now, I do know that it, a lot of it is discipline. There are some people that just can't discipline themselves to do anything. And they let everything else take precedent over God. I know that. And and it's, it's a shame. I mean, I think we can all be sus, uh, susceptible to that kind of malfeasance. But if you really want to grow in the Lord, you take responsibility for what he has given you and you are faithful to him when you're alone, faithful to him in the middle of the night when God stirs you, faithful to him when, as David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Those are special times, but those can't be the only times. And if that's the only thing time you get, quote, wound up in the spirit, as a pastor, I can say that's troubling. We used to have people that back when God was initially pouring out his, his honeymoon phase here, we would have people that would come in and if there weren't three or four people praying, they'd turn around and leave. And I asked one of them, a young lady, I said, where are you going? She said, well, nothing's happening. So I, I, I under, that was troubling to me. I didn't rebuke her. I wanted to, but I thought, nah. 
the issue is what does it signify what's the signification of something happening is it bells and whistles fireworks or is it God is here I'm going to meet with him now I also know in that same vein that some people love to get in their little cubby hole of the spirit and they just love God and then other people like to explode into the terrain Uh, you've got to find that place where you serve God in whatever atmosphere you're in and you respect what God is doing in the moment I remember one time years and years ago before God really changed us I had an early morning prayer meeting can you imagine such a thing every Monday I had people come at 6 and usually it was uh, I, I shouldn't say this, but, you know, there there's always gamers that are kind of on the on the fringe of uh, societal acceptability. And we love those folks, but those were the ones that would come on, on Monday mornings. And one day, one of our senior adult ladies came, and she positioned herself back in the back row. She was kneeling. We didn't know the concept of proscuneo at that point. But I was walking by just praying out loud in, in tongues. I wasn't shouting. I was just walking and praying, which is a good thing to do at 6 in the morning after a Sunday. Keeps you, keeps you limber <laughs> and awake. And she, I heard this voice say, Pastor, Pastor. And I looked down to where she was kneeling. I was just walking by. And she said, Could you pray quieter and I I thought lady this is a public prayer meeting it's six in the morning if you get too quiet everybody's going to start emitting sounds that we would equate with snoring and so I just smiled at her I didn't answer her I wanted to and I went over to the other end of the building and was praying in the spirit so everybody's different but um, we we tried over the years here to encourage people to develop all types of prayer venues and encounters with God so that they could become strengthened in their own walk in Him. But I can tell you, if the only way you're comfortable meeting God is when there are five other prayer warriors around you, those are precious times. But you you better do your you better do your work to develop that personal relationship and uh, with him, whether anybody else in the human form is around or not. So this Saturday morning, see you for, you thought I forgot why I launched into that. This Saturday morning uh, is our Saturday prayer time. You know, first Saturdays, we join together on a particular directive uh, with the Saints Network around the world. That's a wonderful time. But every other Saturday, we, we come and we gather. But this week is going to be a bit different. As I said, our seminar is coming soon. And um, 
Dennis and Tammy Stewart are going to be convening those that participate in um, prophetic presbytery, that ministry that we offer to people um, during seminar, personal prophecies. That team is going to be meeting on the sanctuary uh, platform at 10 o'clock this Saturday morning. Now, that doesn't mean that the rest of you are not allowed to be here in the sanctuary praying. Um, <clears throat> you can you can pray just like you normally do. But just know that at 10 o'clock on the platform, the presbytery teams are going to be meeting to pray on this Saturday, August 26th. So, um, as fair warned, you've received emails. You may receive another one. Um, on the presbytery team just remember that opportunity to come together and be in agreement regarding the effectiveness of ministry um, but if you come in on Saturday morning and you're not on the presbytery team and maybe you forgot this announcement don't look up on the platform and think am I missing something don't get offended well I'd like to be up there too we'll join the presbytery team it's too late now, but you, you need to do that. But just don't think you've missed out on something. You just come and you pray. And don't worry about whether somebody's doing something else. It's like what Jesus said to, to Peter. What is that to thee? You just seek the Lord. See, every now and then I just give pastoral counsel speak, which is necessary, but Gosh, you, you see all kinds of crazy things. People are, people are strange. Seems like there was a hymn by Jim Morrison. Oh, no, that was The Doors. All right. Today we want to talk about an aspect of the, the spirit within each of us that we've not taught on before. Uh, I saw it, but you can only lead a horse to to the water trough so many times in a day. We we studied a lot about the friend, P-H-R-E-N, the deposit of the Spirit within us, each of us that becomes born again only through Christ. Um, we've talked about how that dictates our ability to understand the deeper things of the Lord. We've talked about how it affects our passions for the Lord. We've talked about how um, there is um, there is a measure of our identity from God for our walk on earth in in that deposit of the Spirit, and these these are all true. We've studied this. At some point, maybe I'll write about it. I just haven't felt the unction to do it, or maybe I felt the unction but just haven't done it. The jury's out on that one. But today we want to talk about a, uh, another variation of that theme. And it's very important. And I think I know that it's for today. And so if you will look, begin, we're going to look at a number of scriptures. So just keep your Bible program functional. There is no outline today. And we purposely are doing that because we love outlines we love to give printed sheets we've done that i dare say i don't know how many hundreds of times 
so I'm not lambasting that. But usually on Wednesdays, you're there wherever you are, and you, you need to be learning how to study the Word with whatever Bible resources you have. So we're just going to go old school, just like the days when us, us little kids used to go to church on Wednesday night. And you'd take the Bible, and the pastor would say, oh, it's good to hear the rustling of the leaves. And we would learn how to turn to the different passages, hopefully. We might even have a sword drill fit in, which we're not going to do here. But um, the first passage we want to look at is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. And it says this, Well, there's so much in this extended passage. It says that God has sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. That is wonderful. And we recognize that the idea of being sealed is a variation and extension off of friend. P-H-R-E-N. Now, if you have a King James Strong's or any kind of Strong's and you click on that word sealed, and I was talking to a very precious member of our church this past Sunday, and <clears throat> she was having some challenges with her Bible program, and I directed her to Pastor Fabian to get it cleared up. So if you if you understand how to use your Bible program, well, you uh, click on sealed and you'll see that that's the Greek words frag. excuse me, my eyes are not quite open yet sfragizo and um, that extrapolates back to friend so, and in here it, it just kind of goes um, it just gives its explanation we're sealed that place of the friend, the deposit of the Spirit, is is in us, and God watches over us, and it's the earnest, the down payment of the Spirit in our hearts. That's good. But sealing, sealing is, um, is so important that we recognize that the power of the seal is rooted in friend. So let's uh, let's look at John six, and if you if you pop that and you see it, it's just an easy thing. Scroll up and down in your search engine here. We're not going to talk about every one of these instances. You can do, hey, you can do. Here's a news flash. You can do that for yourself when this broadcast ends. But John six twenty seven says. Do not labor for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Hmm. Question is, who is the him? Is it the, the Son that's the him that the, the Father seals? Or is it you 
which the Son shall give to you. Well, we're going to see here that it's both. But in respect to it being you, your priority should be to fulfill what the earnest of that Spirit, which has sealed you, it's identified you, uh, within your heart, with well, actually within the core of who you are physically, um, you you need to labor for that. Let's let's keep looking, and eventually, though, we'll stop and just preach a bit. Um, how about Ephesians one, verse thirteen and fourteen, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed, there's our word, with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Wow. There's that Holy Spirit of promise, and we're sealed. It speaks about the place where this, not only the place where this resides, but an indication of the security of it and an indication of the authority of it. Isn't that interesting? Let's look at the other instance in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. This is a warning to us. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed under the day of redemption. How, how could you grieve the Holy, how could you grieve that? Well, you know, in life, if you see somebody that's just squandering what you you know they have, or misusing it, or not using it, it's it's a grieving thing. You know, if if somebody loses a loved one, well, they grieve. Why? Because that person is gone. They're not able to be relied upon now. They're not able to be associated with. They're not able to be drawn from. And it's it's it, this essence of grieving is a misuse or a lack of use of something that's there. So if God has sealed you and put this earnest and this promise and this identity within you, and you're going after other things, somehow that grieves the spirit within. You're not applying what God created you to be. That's, that's fascinating. Now, let's look at... Let's talk about Jesus. John 3. I love this one. I love all these scriptures. Um, this is talking about Jesus. Maybe this might clear up a measure of misunderstanding that some of you have had regarding this verse. He that hath received his testimony has set to his seal, there's our word, that God is true. God is going to be showing forth things that he wants to continue to reveal that to this point has been hidden. For he whom God hath sent... Apostello, we're talking about Jesus, speaks the words of God. God does not, God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. 
now in the context of friend what might this mean does it mean that jesus has more spirit than you that's what a lot of people think no it doesn't mean this this is met metro this is uh, an assignment each of us has our own identity but when god apostolically sent jesus jesus had to in all points be tested as we are and overcome in every one of them without sin. So there was not a limited assignment given to him. His assignment was all-encompassing. So there was not in, in this seal of God upon him, there was not a selective assignment, which each of us have. Each of us have our own measure of responsibility before God. And we need to discover and utilize and function in it. How, how do we know what it is? Do we run to 50 prophets and get their opinions and then do the percentages and figure out which one we like most and say, well, this is my identity? Or is it that you begin to seek God and you begin to allow him to use you and by their fruits you know them you know we we talk about this in so many other ways we talk about particular breeds of dog and some dogs there's a dog that's in my household not in my house that kind of was trained to herd and so it sticks alongside you as you walk or it will go immediately ahead there's just something innate in that dog and you say oh this well this this dog was a shepherding dog it's different breeds indicate different things um and so the way you learn who you are is by doing and you don't you don't try to emulate something you like better than who you are now I, I understand as a pastor a lot of times I am I need to do things in ministry that I don't really feel I'm as comfortable in there's some things that are right in my wheelhouse that's a baseball term but there are other things that I know this is what needs to be done so I need to do it I may not do it as well as somebody else but it doesn't take me long to recognize and you don't want to limit God in this but it doesn't take me long to recognize this is what God created you to be so hone your craft and serve him interesting isn't it so Jesus received the spirit without measure what does that mean again it doesn't mean that he was playing unfairly well, I can't be Christ-like because he had more spirit than me. No, he, he patterned exactly what you need to be. But the thing was that his assignment, which could only be done by him as the perfect sacrifice, uh, touched every measure of what we might be required to do. So there wasn't a limited agenda for him. It was an all-encompassing but according to the same spirit, according to the same laws and regulations that the scripture is putting out. 
And I think that this other verse that we're going to look at in John is, is, in fact, it's the first issuance of this particular variation of Sfragizo. So they went, John 21, 66. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone, setting a watch. Why is this important? Well, invariably they would, <clears throat> they would seal a sepulcher when somebody died. Yeah, hopefully you would secure what was there, but if we've learned anything from the study of archaeology, grave robbers made quick work of such seals. The angel certainly made quick work of it three days later with Jesus. But it, it was to signify like a eulogy. Here is this person's remains. This is who they are. This is all they're taking with them. This is their memorial. And so you seal that. Interesting. And you could also identify who was in, who, whose body was inside through that seal. It wasn't just a gorilla glue. There was some indication of who you're putting in there. Um, so we give thanks to Jesus, but this seal is very important. So, sfragizo, any measure of the seal in the New Testament, whether it's the signet ring or whatever it is, all has its root in friend. Do you understand that? So your authority through the signet is based upon your, what your identity is given by God. I think that's wonderful. And it goes right along with you know, your authority is based upon what your assignment is in the natural and, in, you know, what's your relationship with God, how you've developed that commune of what God himself put in you that's born again through Christ. That's your authority. But stay in your authority. One of the ways that a lot of ministries get in trouble is they leave their assignment and they try to become competitive with other ministries and they talk about things that they've not been anointed to really um, dictate. And so when they get off target, they sometimes borrow false doctrine or they, or they, farcical I almost said, um, or, they, or they start talking about things that's not their specialty. Did you ever go to a doctor and you know good and well that that doctor, as trained as the doctor is, has no idea about what's going on in you. And they would want to refer you, hopefully, to a specialist who, who did have a, uh, a training in that particular challenge that you're facing. And nothing worse than having a physician who thinks, well, you know, let's just throw this against the wall and see if it sticks. Let's just run you through a bunch of stuff and you think, man, I like the woman with the issue of blood who saw many doctors and didn't get any better but was worse and spent all her living. That's frustrating. A lot of preachers are that way. They get out from what they really have an anointing to do. And when they leave that anointing, good God knows what's going to come out of their mouth. It's true. I've heard some people whose specialization is in 
ministering healing and freedom, and they start talking about the end times based on some wacko that they heard teach, and they say all kinds of things that are just absolutely not scriptural. I've heard that. And I think, stay in your wheelhouse. Stay with what you have and be that. Now, arguably, your specialization may not be something that draws a big crowd. That's a challenge. Because, um, you know, it's like what Paul said, you know, the more comely parts of the body are the most important, but they're not the ones that is adorned in the mirror every morning. It's a big topic. But your seal it goes all the way down to the friend of the deposit of the Spirit within you, which is born again only through Christ. And when you die, that Spirit goes back to God. Study it. Well, I've never heard of such a thing. Well, are you like Christ? At the end of his sacrifice on the cross, he commended his Spirit to the hands of God, didn't he? He gave up the ghost. So you're saying you're not going to do that? Sometimes when somebody has never heard something, they're so quick to pull the trigger on it's not scriptural. Better understand the scripture a little more before you throw that one into the pot. Now, let's talk about the end times for a second. Save that for the end, how appropriate. Um, in Revelation chapter 5, we see that the risen Lamb of God is given the little book and the seals on that book are to be opened by him. Now we just said that the spirit within us can only be born again through Christ's sacrifice. And immediately upon his ascension into heaven as the slain Lamb, the triumphant Lamb, He's given this book from the Father, and he begins to loose the seals. Why is that? How is that? Because he who was given the Spirit without measure, who triumphed, and gave us the opportunity to have that dimension of the Spirit activated within us, our identity, our function, our authority, now we see that in this same framework of understanding, we've been given the opportunity to work with him on what the contents of that little book are. The seals, our right to partner with him in that seals through being born again and through allowing his spirit within us to function. Do you see that? That's exciting. In Revelation 7, uh, verse 3 and forward then, you have this odd thing about the 144,000, which, which is the tribes and 12,000 from each tribe. But what does that mean? Is it the Mormons? Well, they'd like to say it is. problem is the, the ranks of the Mormons have well surpassed 144,000. So you get some problems with your theology there. Um, I think that this just means simply that there was something in regard to the tribe, tribal promise 
of the Jewish people themselves. And I recognize that Paul says that we are all of the seed of Abraham. We're, we're all truly Jews. I recognize that. But there's some reason that these tribes are mentioned specifically, and specifically these angels. It's not God that's sealing them. The angels, read it, are sealing them. So there's something that God is going to do on behalf of the promise of Israel in the Old Covenant. Um, and only God could do something like this, but it's the angel that's doing it. Note that. And, and I don't know how this is going to manifest itself. I don't know what special power or function God is going to give through this angelic sealing, but it would speak, since it's from friend, to some um, specialized partnership. Maybe it's how the Spirit of God moved in the Old Testament upon people before they could be born again. Now, I'm not going to mince hairs with you about this. Don't get lost in the sauce. But there's something to do with the deposit of the Spirit upon the Old Testament tribes that the angel is going to indicate. Note that. It's the angelic. God would not be after Jesus going back and God, God doing the sealing, even though it's all through his power. Because then he would be crossing back over into an old covenant thing when Christ has fulfilled that. Grace and truth came through him. We're not under the law anymore. It's just an interesting thing. Um, just also in Revelation 10, 4, when the angel tells John, don't write what you hear these seven thunders proclaiming, seal them up because why because this deposit of the spirit within us is a partnership it's an intercessory walk of faith and if you it's kind of like somebody if you're if you're going to watch a movie somebody who's seen it before tells you all the plot and tells you what the answer is well then you don't want to watch the movie you've taken the fun out of it and so, but the fun of faith is to walk by faith and not by sight. And so John is told, you seal this. Specifically, you relegate this to the partnership of the Spirit of God within these people and don't inviolate the principles of faith. Does that make sense? Think about it, it will. The last one is um, Revelation 22, verse 10. I love this. I, I, I love this. It says, um, it speaks about the fellow servants who are proskuneoing, and they keep the sayings of the book, and they're proskuneoing, in verse 10, he says to me, Do not seal the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. So what John is being given 
in this book, um, what he's observed, don't close them up. They're available for all of us right now to draw upon through intercession, through praying in the Spirit, through knowing God, through fulfilling what we are specifically called to be in Him. Isn't that wonderful? So on the one hand, you seal what the seven thunders are because that's the way God's going to move. But in this instance, you don't seal what has been allowed to be written and recorded and spoken of um, in this come up hither experience from the Isle of Patmos into heaven by the Apostle John. So what's this mean for you? Well, it's another aspect of the unique gift from God that's within you. It's within every one of you. And we've studied this in the past. Some of you who either weren't paying attention or have not heard this teaching. Every person on earth has the deposit of the Spirit of God within them. Otherwise, they would not have life. God breathed the breath of life. And every person is going to give up the ghost when, when their time on earth is, is ended. Only through Jesus Christ is the true identity and function of who you're called to be before God is it made alive and activated. Now, you see people who live in the world who indicate um, different giftings and functions uh, and you would think Oh, if, if they were just born again, what could they really be before God? Uh, some, some folks utilize this, these divine capacities in the demonic realm. The enemy recognizes this principle, and he it's not that he activates them, but he learns just like in the Hestemis. He learns how to utilize deposits of the glory and draw from them um, it's not to the degrees by far that God will do when the spirit of God flows through them but we see people who who function in the demonic utilizing giftings that God gave for his glory so every person has this capacity, whether they utilize it or not, whether they recognize it or not, is up to them. But when you're born again, you need to be utilizing this. And you need to allow the spirit within to function. We've talked about how that the Bible clearly says that when you pray in an unknown tongue, your spirit, note it, my spirit prayeth, so you're speaking to God, his mysteries, his mysterion, directly from that base of the Spirit within you, 
And boy, the enemy has done a notable job in not only shutting off this understanding from a good portion of the church, but making it odious, making it ugly and smelly in the eyes of people. I, I was hearing a testimony of some, a very young believer, precious young believer. And they were just talking about the things of the Spirit, uh, the things of God. And they brought up the subject of speaking in tongues, almost like it was stepping in something smelly. The enemy's done a very notable job in making most of the church um, not function in the way that Pentecost afforded them to function because if anyone prays in an unknown tongue, their spirit prays. It's not some oddity. It's not some malfeasance of the physical, of the flesh. It's not some wacky miscreant behavior indicated by unschooled, undisciplined people. It's the Spirit of God within you communicating to God. And that unlocks your ability to grasp the deeper things of the Spirit. See, we've got to be careful in recognizing what we have and not allow any other thing, and it's so easy to do, to stop us from functioning. I know I'm guilty of this. And before you turn your nose up at me, every one of you at one point or another has been guilty of not treasuring what God has put in you. In the Old Testament, it was the ma'ah, it was the moving of the intestine, the bowels, the old King James says. And when the Spirit of the Lord would move, there was a stirring. But we've been made alive in that place. So we, we just don't stir every now and then. We're partnering as born again, fellow citizens, Christ-like. In the Old Testament, they were looking for the Messiah. In the New Testament, we're to be Christ-like, Christian. We're to be functioning as anointed sons of the Most High God. And that base is in the core of your body, but it's that earnest of the spirit. It's that deposit. You're sealed there. So you're, you have authority. You're identified. It's, it's just a wonderful thing. So the seal in the New Testament is based off this deposit of the spirit within you. It's how we're going to function in these end times. And I believe the enemy has tried to discourage you, to get you to stop, to, to deter you by putting other things in your pathway. And oh my goodness, the things we have today that we didn't have even when I was growing up. At least when I was growing up, we had television three network channels and one public station. And then, wonder of wonders, when you had that loop antenna that brought in UHS, UHF channels, woo, 
You were really living large then. I remember that... Um, I shouldn't go there. But that, that and the newspaper were the main things that could occupy me growing up. You know, we, it was a sin to go to movies, so I didn't have any money to go to them anyway, so it was nice that that was a sin. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Of course, then you become a teenager, and you start having interest in other things, in sports, in, in girls, um, and in um, partying spending time with other kids and doing things, extracurricular things at school or um, playing on sports teams, competing in debate, uh, singing. Yet all these things. Now, good grief, you have the world at your fingertips with a little device called your cell phone or your computer or your television with with satellite um, types of of uh, ability to see anything at any time and that's not to mention the capabilities that we have of course now as I become older I've got I'm a grandparent now and so You've got children, grandchildren. It seems like grandchildren are involved in so many things. Good grief. And we love it. We bless it. When I was a kid, my grandparents lived hundreds of miles away. I saw them once a year. And then I rarely knew them. The concept of any of them coming to get me from school or to come to a myriad number of things that I was doing was preposterous. Your social calendar, whoever you are, is crammed full of obligations. I'm not making excuses for you, but I'm saying it is what's the most prioritized thing that should be your life, and that is this deposit of the Spirit and your relationship with God and how you're to serve Him. That's number one. Now, He allows you these other things. But if all these other things are priorities, when was the last time you really focused on the deposit of God within you? How do you expect that seal to work? You can't just go to a, to a, faith, con, uh, a faith conference and say, you've got that signet ring and you know what it means. A, a king could come and drip the hot wax and put his signature there and bless God it was done. What do you want from God? What do you need from God? Use your signet ring. Really? It is the seal of that spirit within you. If you've not been developing it, if you've not been allowing that to breathe, functioning in what myriad numbers of scripture speak into that, Guess what? Your signet means diddly. Do you understand that? It's like saying, I got a checkbook. I remember that movie, Catch Me If You Can. And, you know, 
um, the, the father looks to the son and gives him a checking account. He says, now you're in your club. And that kid learned how to float hot checks. You can have a checkbook, but if you don't have anything in your account, you're just wasting ink. You can talk all day long about having a signet ring and all the things that that affords you, but if you've not been developing that resource that is the root of that signet, which is in you, as my Italian friends would say, forget about it. Are you saying we don't have authority? Oh, I'm not saying that at all. I'm talking about what authority is. Authority is not just a birthright. It's a functional aspect of your partnership with God. Your authority is based upon who you are functionally in Him. Functioning on behalf of what He created you to be and what He gave His Son as a ransom that it might be born again and activated. Hallelujah. I told you I was going to start preaching. Hold on to your toupee. Okay, well, that's uh, the word for today. Um, It is a dimension of friend that we've not talked about. Maybe God saved it for now. I believe that. I'm grateful for it. And you don't have to wait till I write about it to do it. It's already been written about. It's there in the scripture. Amen? Well, God bless all of you. Thank you so much for joining. Don't forget this coming Saturday for his prayer and for the Prophetic Presbytery team, 10 o'clock on the platform. We'll make sure it's all nice and clean for you. Uh, May God bless you today. May, May you be a precious servant of him. And until next time, goodbye.